Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by my colleague Jay Shabat to discuss Delta United's fourth quarter earnings and China's reopening and what that means for flights to the country. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how is earnings season going for you this week? Hi, Ned. It's all good. Always an interesting time of the year, or the quarter, I should say. That's right. So since since we last recorded, we've had both Delta and United uh, deliver their earnings, and, and Delta came in as expected, uh, sort of meeting and beating expectations, strong revenue growth. Costs are up, but, but revenues are still outpacing them. But this week, we're going to talk a bit about United, which uh, we're recording on Wednesday, January 18th, and they've just delivered their results. Jay, can you tell us a bit about their numbers? Yeah, I can. So United, as uh, Ned mentioned, reported today, we're speaking on Wednesday. Uh, and the just to go through some of the numbers here, uh, one thing that stands out is United and Delta's numbers are very similar. And I'll give some examples. So Delta had $12.3 billion in revenues for the quarter. United was at 12.4. Wow. Uh, De- yeah, Delta's operating profit was uh, $1.4 billion. That's excluding special items. United was 1.39. So Delta 1.42, United 1.39. Very, very close. Um, so very similar operating margins because, uh, yeah, United has a little bit more revenue. It's Their operating margin came out to 11.2%, Delta 116 but you can see a lot of similarities there. So um, both, and both those numbers, by the way, are very strong. I mean, for the fourth quarter, uh, you know, airlines would have died for that going back you know, a couple of years ago. So very, very strong results for both carriers. Um, one big difference, however, between Delta and United is that uh, when you compare the results to 2019, before 2019, uh, United actually performed better this time around whereas Delta didn't quite perform as well as it did four years ago. So that's really interesting, interesting, Jay, because we've often talked about and and it's been written about how Delta is the margin and industry leader on financials in the U.S. And United has long been sort of chasing them, for lack of a better word. They've they've wanted to catch up. uh, And and I don't know if if it's right to say that they have caught up at this point because Delta is expecting to pull ahead. But... Um, the convergence is fascinating because I, I don't think anyone expected Delta to come down a little bit, though the pandemic, of course, reset everyone's financial expectations. Right. And we'll see how, you know, if this is just a moment in time or if this is something that holds going forward. That'll be an interesting question for 2023 and beyond. Right. Uh, what is it yes. they say? A, a single quarter a year, uh, a year is not made. Or, I don't know. A single quarter does not make a year or something like that. So, yes, this could just be a a moment in time rather than a larger trend, and we will see. Absolutely right, right. It's uh, definitely you have to perform over the course of the year. Now, I should say that uh, air, U.S. airlines have become a lot less seasonal um, over the past couple of years. I mean, I'm kind of excluding the pandemic period, does uh, all those anomalies. But, uh, you know, it's, it used to be, if you go back 10 years ago or even more than that, you, a, a U.S. airline would typically lose money in the first quarter, even in the fourth quarter, and then kind of make it up in the second and third. It's not like that anymore. It's just, it's much smoother across the calendar, and uh, we're, that's that's still not the case in Europe. In Europe, it still is very very seasonal. Um, so that's you know it's the difference to uh, to make note of. 
For sure. And that reminds me of our discussion of, uh, of Aegean Airlines and Pegasus Airlines last year, yes. which <laughs> well, Pegasus just raked in the cash during the summer and <laughs> negative margins through the winter. Hyper seasonal. <laughs> Hyper seasonal. Yeah. Exactly. One, fi- one final just distinction between United and Delta that I should point out here is that Delta paid $3.20 per gallon for its fuel last quarter. Whereas United paid three fifty four, so you know significantly more. Uh, Delta, remember, has that refinery, which helps them. Um, in this case, help them anyway. Uh, so keep that in mind too. You know, United performed a few percentage points, few tenths of percentage points. Sorry, uh, you know, inferior, inferior, inferior performance. I don't want to say, but uh, they did pay more for fuel. So something to uh, keep in the back of your head when you're considering the comparisons. Definitely. Now, the financials were not uh, as much of the focus of, of United's call on Wednesday as as they might have been. Um, it was a fascinating call that I, I listened to where United CEO Scott Kirby basically uh, left all cares to the wind and uh, went out, came out with the strong fighting words about pretty much every issue the airline industry faces. You know, he cited uh, the pilot shortage, need for more staffing, both at airlines, FAA, at the FAA, at airports, OEM delays, tech constraints, to basically say that the the U.S. airline industry is near its capacity limit. In other words, airlines simply cannot fly more flights in the U.S. And, and he said, yes, there are some airports where that is possible. Um, good weather days, you can do it. But frankly, uh, and his quote was, something goes wrong every week between all of the issues. He he really thinks flight capacity is is at its limit in the US, which is quite a remarkable statement. But if you think about it, you know, the New York area has long been near its limit with slot constraints and, and schedule facilitation at the airports. Florida, with all the issues we're seeing at Jacksonville Center over the past year, has <laughs> long been a capacity sort of a, a, a black hole. Everyone's just flown there, but is becoming much more challenging it's interesting to hear his comments on this, and he expects industry capacity this year to come in lower than airlines are guiding, and and he he thinks the airlines that are able to, you know, maintain their guides are, are really going to succeed in this. It's it's fascinating listening to say all this. It is, and I didn't get a chance to listen to the call live. Uh, I did take a peek at the transcript, and I saw some of what you're talking about, Ned, where he really came out swinging. Scott Kirby did. Uh, he. <laughs> Some some quotes I saw even made him uh, sound a little bit like the Michael O'Leary of the United States. I mean, without maybe the profanity, but he was really going after you know competitors by name and you know acting rather or speaking rather boastfully. And uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's too too much of a stretch to call him the Michael O'Leary of uh, of America. But uh, a little little bit of a uh, little bit of that came across. Um, I, I think, and this sort of goes along with what you're saying that um, one of his big themes seem to be, from what I gathered from just a little bit of that I saw of the transcript, was that, you know, this is not um, 2019. 2019 is never coming back. That world is done. Absolutely. Um, He was very, very clear about that. Costs will never go back. We're never going to get back to the industry. Yeah, 2019. So, yeah. (laughs) Right. We're just living in a much more operationally constrained environment, and that has implications for cost. It has implications for how much capacity that airlines can plan and, and, and produce. Um, and United sort of planning around that as- assumption and seems to be alleging that others 
don't get it. <laughs> yeah, seem to be thinking it's particularly the LCCs who seem to uh, be going after Spirit and Southwest and they just they don't get it. They're scheduling too much. They're not investing enough to, to handle this these new realities. And uh, you know, we'll see if he's right ultimately. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely not um, shy about expressing his opinion. No, he's not. So so his quote specifically on United at least was. We need 10% more pilots and 5% more aircraft to produce the same number of pet of pre-pandemic ASMs today. And, and that's significant. That's huge. I mean, 10% more pilots. And yes, you, his critiques of, of competitors were definitely that they are not building in this, this cushion, this buffer, as, as Kirby and then his chief uh, commercial officer, Engineer Sella, put it, uh, to protect against operational meltdowns. And and as they put it, having a larger buffer than 2019 is cheaper than recovering from a massive meltdown. The uh, indication there, you know, without him saying the name, was, of course, Southwest over the holidays. But it's going to be fascinating because, like you said, I mean, the industry has never been friendly to a boastful CEO. So I, you know, Kirby is is being very strong in his words, but it's it's too early to tell if he's right and you know we've seen this industry change on a dime before i can do it again so you know we've got to be cautious to, yeah he needs to try it next time with an irish accent <laughs> for sure so we will see as the year goes on uh, whether you know kirby's comments or, you know, play out, but United is definitely sitting in a good spot at this moment. Emphasis is at this moment. Like you said, things can change. Well, Jay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk a bit about China. Hey, Jay. So some more on United Airlines uh, and their earnings was Andrew Nocella, chief commercial officer, spoke, uh, answered some reporters questions about China. And specifically when he was asked if uh, if if they could fly more flights now that the country has dropped entry restrictions, he said no, that at this point they only have the green light to fly four weekly flights. And this confirms Airline Weekly is reporting in the last few weeks that even though the border restrictions have dropped. The old bilateral, which allows about 20 some odd uh, flights to tier one cities in China, this is Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou, you know, that has not been restored. And a lot of people don't see when it's going to be restored, even if passengers are ready to fly. And so I thought it was really fascinating that he's confirming that, that diplomatically, there is not a green light, uh, his quote, green light, to go beyond four weekly flights, which is tiny. We haven't seen that few flights between the U.S. and China in over 20 years. Right. And from what I understand, I mean, people are traveling, then, especially, I think, uh, in the big cities where a lot of, you know, I think a lot of the travel originates um, out of China. Uh, I think that stuff's starting to come back in terms of demand. But, yeah, the flights are not quite there yet. Um, some of those places also, I mean, I'm thinking of Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, the big cities. Uh, Tianjin, where I used to live, is uh, no no airport there, but that's a lot of a lot of originating traffic. I mean, it's an airport, but no no not stops to the U.S. But a lot of originating traffic that goes to Beijing. Uh, those big cities have kind of probably experienced their COVID peak already, um, and so the, the demand is there. It just it's the capacity, as you mentioned, is just not not back. And I suspect it will come back. Maybe again, you know, it may not look like 2019, but 
we'll, we'll start to see more before this power moves out, I think, in 2023. Absolutely. The capacity will come back, but, you know, it's not going to be like when Europe opened and we saw airlines no. race to put flights back into the market. I mean, we saw, you know, capacity jump over, you know, it wasn't necessarily the same month, but it was within three, four months capacity Europe jumped. But we're not going to see that in China is the indication I'm getting. Now, we've seen the Chinese airlines applying on the U.S. side to significantly up their schedules, not to pre-pandemic levels, but to several daily flights. And, you know, my understanding in my conversations with people is that restrictions are on both sides, that until the China allows U.S. airlines to start restoring more flights, the U.S. isn't going to let Chinese airlines restore more flights. So it's it's very much something that's going to be, you know, determined in diplomatic circles and not really within the airline industry, regardless of whether demand is there or not. Sure. A lot of it would be shaped by government policy, for sure, government negotiations. I don't know that for the U.S. carriers that it's a, a very big concern. Um, I, I think China was always sort of, I don't want to call it a niche market, and it's more than that. You know, I, I, I think a United flight from, say, you know, San Francisco to Shanghai was probably a meaningful contributor to, you know, to profits during, you know, pre, pre-pandemic period. Um but it's not, I think, you know, Japan is a much more important market for U.S. carriers than, than China ever was, I believe. Um, and I think, you know, Japan is seems to be coming back strong. I don't know if they said anything during the call. But, a note on uh, Japan. Speaking of that, uh, Nusella actually did comment on Japan. And he said U.S. point of sale for travel to Japan is coming back strong since restrictions were dropped. Everything is as expected there. But... The point of sale in Japan, which is a, is a big thing for both uh, for the U.S. carriers. I mean, Delta has large sales presence there, United and its partner ANA, American its partner in JAL. Um, that point of sale has not returned, and he didn't comment on it. But his com- but his his comments come a day after Airlines for America asked for a slot waiver for for airlines Haneda flights. So it's interesting. It's it's Haneda, and then uh, China was also asked for a slot waiver. Through October, so it's it's really seems like U.S. airlines are prepared for a longer slowdown to China and uh, at least to the Tokyo area than many other markets. Yeah, interesting. And, and Japan is, uh, remember, um, Japan is also a very very large market for Hawaiian airlines, um, and uh, so that's one dynamic that you don't have. I mean, if you're a U.S. negotiator and uh, you're talking to China. Versus when we're talking to Japan, that's another thing to think about is that, you know, you have this airline, this, you know, rather, rather large airline, Hawaiian Airlines, not small. They're uh, very, very dependent on the Japanese market. Something to keep in mind. There's far more people flying from Japan to Hawaii than there are Hawaiians going to Japan. They, you know, Hawaiian needs that Japan point of sale to come back and come back strong to start filling up all of their flights. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And then if you think of like American, they're rather small in Asia relative to United and Delta, uh, but Tokyo is a big market for them. Um, they have, you know, that joint venture with Japan Airlines. So it is, yeah, Japan is just, it is a, a more strategic market than China uh, ever was for the U.S. Airlines. Now, now, there was a time when the U.S. Airlines were hoping that would evolve, that China would evolve into something much bigger. Um, you know, Delta formed 
an alliance with a joint venture with uh, China Eastern, or was it a joint venture, or there was, there was an equity stake it, that swapped anyway? It was a strategic uh, partnership. Because they can't yeah. do joint venture without open skies. Point, but yeah, yeah, it was basically as close as they could get without actually you know, coordinating. You, you don't have the antitrust immunity, right, right. And similar, you know, Air China and United had something going. So there was definitely, uh, you know, I, I think hopes were high for China. I think some of those hopes have been deflated. And even with China now opening, I think it's just a different situation now than it was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. China is just the economy is growing. You know, the outlook for the economy is growing more slowly. Just the trade tensions between the two countries are much larger. Uh, you know, we talk about a company like Apple. I know United, you can imagine how many Apple people were flying from San Francisco to, you know, Chengdu or the helicopter or Shanghai, you know, back in the peak. That's sort of, you know, maybe still there to some extent, but Apple's moving a lot of production away from China. So I don't think that it's just not as um, the market's promise is, uh, has diminished quite a bit. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. So there's a f- couple things I, I thought of as you were talking there. First of all, I remember in the early days of the pandemic, when we were still thinking that China was just where it was going to be, uh, United told me that they only, you know, China only accounted for, I want to say, about 15 aircraft in their wide body fleet, which is a fraction of their wide body fleet. So it's not, you know, it's not minuscule, but it's it's a small number if you look at an airline with over a thousand aircraft. Um, so and the other thing that comes up, and this is true with both Delta and United, they both highlighted Korea and the Australia, New Zealand markets as being very strong right now. And I know United, for example, has added significant capacity to Australia since they signed Virgin Australia as a partner. Uh, they added Brisbane to their map. They've, they've gone back full on in Sydney. They've gone back to Melbourne. Oh, and Delta just last week said they're going to st- start Auckland flights from LAX later this year. So it seems like airlines are finding other ways to deploy that capacity that would go to China, that would otherwise be going to China, at least until they have a better idea of what the Chinese market's going to look like in the future. Right, right. And we've been kind of framing the discussion around the U.S. airlines, um, which, you know, kind of throws back to, I think we started the conversation with you mentioning, you know, uh, Andrew Nacella's comments from United about China. Um, definitely important to mention that uh, for many airlines in the world outside of the United States, China is a very, very, very important airline market. I mean, you can you know, think of uh, even Korea. Uh, you mentioned yeah. that. Yep. Korean Air, when I'm merging with Asiana now. That's, um, and some of the low-cost airlines in Korea as well, uh, very highly dependent on China traffic, not just um, local traffic and um, travel to and from, but uh, people connect using Seoul, Seoul and China Airport, as a gateway to get into out into and out of China. I mean, you can see it's a little bit of a stretch to say this, but not much. Uh, the way that Dubai serves as a hub for India, kind of an offshore hub, Seoul serves as an offshore hub for China. So with that traffic, um, you know, that's opening up now, as we mentioned, but uh, does it ever return to where it was? Maybe not. And if it doesn't, then, you know, that has big implications for a company like Korean Air, um, and to say, to speak nothing of, you know, just some of the countries that depend on Chinese tourism, inbound Chinese tourism, Thailand comes to mind, I mean, all those Southeast Asian countries, and even Australia, uh, Australia, very 
uh, has just had a lot, a lot of Chinese traffic over the course of, you know, the pre-pandemic, you know, call it a decade or two. Uh, and not even just tourists, but also students studying in Australia and, you know, certainly business traffic as well. So that's um, that's kind of a big hole to fill. Uh, does that ever come back? You know, that's that's a question asked. Question of great of, of minimal importance to the U.S. airlines, but very big importance to many other airlines. Absolutely, and and you know, I, I talk about the U.S. airlines because you know I I live in Washington D.C., so I, I know what you know. I have a stronger, <laughs> a better uh, finger on what's happening in, in political circles between the U.S. and China than I do with any other country. But you bring up an interesting point that. Regardless of what we demand, where demand eventually settles, demand is going to come back to some point to China. And if the U.S. carriers and the Chinese carriers are limited in what they can fly between both countries, that actually is a great opportunity in the short term for airlines like Korean Air uh, to serve. If if Koreans able to resume flights from Seoul, they can serve as the main one of the main connecting points for people that need to get to China that might have otherwise taken a nonstop. Now, I have a, a an anecdote on this. I have uh, a number of friends who have traveled back to visit family in China in just the last uh, couple of weeks. It's, it is Lunar New Year coming up this weekend. And, you know, they have all connected through Asian hubs. One went through Hong Kong, one went through Tokyo, another through Seoul. And these are people I've known for years. And in years past, they would have flown nonstop. So, Definitely, the Asian airlines are picking up some traffic as a result of of the restrictions on U.S. China flying. But you know where that ultimately yep. lands, no one knows. But yeah, yep. very good point. Very good point. Yeah, it's, uh, I think there is some traffic to pick up. If you're right, if you need to get from Shanghai to uh, Atlanta and you can't get a seat, you know, on uh, on a U.S. airline, then uh, yeah, you might connect through uh, through uh, Korea or you know some other. Uh, some other hub in that region. So yeah, that's that's a good point that you make. Definitely. Well, Jay, we're going to wrap it up there. It's uh, it's another busy earnings week. And next week, folks, we will, we will have a lot more earnings from around the world. So look forward to that. Jay, you have a great, uh, great weekend there. Thank you very much, Ned. Thanks to all our listeners and uh, see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.